Well, as per usual, Holy Spirit has an agenda that goes far beyond what I planned, and uh, which is fun. It is, uh, it is an honor as a pastor to work in partnership with God, and that sounds like a huge thing. He's the senior partner. I'm the junior partner. He gets all the big ideas, and I say, hey, boss, what are we doing today? So, I, I mean, it's, it's really funny because funny in an ironic sense. Today, a lot of the songs that Pastor Jeff picked, and he did that in prayer with the prayer team, talked about the uh, the Holy Spirit, the wind of God, the Lord breathing on us. And uh, you saw Marissa with the balloon uh, pumping that up, uh, because the message today is a little different. Be pneumaticos. How many of you know what it means to be pneumatic? What's, what's pneumatic? Do you know what that is? It's air-powered. It's, it's compressed air. Now, am I saying you, you need to be full of hot air? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Marissa, you were kind of close on your illustration, but it's the breath of God. It's being filled with God's breath. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. 26 times in the New Testament, the Bible talks about us being pneumaticos and what that means. It's the, it's the New Testament equivalent of the name of God that I said from the Old Testament, Ruach HaKodesh. It's the same thing as this idea of God's breath, God's wind in us, filling us up and um, being able to uh, be used by God. Well, I want you to take a, a look at this picture. Some of you may have seen this. Did you see this picture last week? How many of you actually saw this in the news? I don't know about you, but this makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I want to go and I want to rescue that guy. Don't you want to go running, screaming into the picture saying, hey, wake up, get out of there, get into your basement. This is in Alberta, Canada. It was taken on June 5th, 2017. This is a guy mowing his lawn where there's a serious uh, level two, whatever they call tornado in the background. His comment, if you read the news article, was I, kept, I was keeping an eye on it. It was going the other way. I still would have been in the basement. I can't, this guy is just amazing. Does it make you uncomfortable too? You, you want to say, how does this resolve? There's got to be a movie follow-up to this, okay? This is going to be probably the picture of the decade. You go to the next slide there. Now, this guy has nothing to do with what I'm going to say, but this picture inspired some ideas in me. So I don't want to put things on that poor guy who is mowing the lawn. I don't know where he is spiritually. And I'm sure this picture says many different things to different people. But to me, it reminds me of how little awareness a lot of people have about the spiritual realities that are going on in the world around them. They kind of go through life doing the perfunctory, everyday things that make up life and they really don't understand. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read the scripture in a moment, says they are darkened in their understanding. Now again, I'm not talking about this guy, okay? He might be fine. But we need to know that many people in the world around us are captive. They don't see. They're not bad people in the sense that they mean to be that way. It's just they, they've never had their hearts and their minds open. And even many Christians live in a state of ignorance about what is happening spiritually around them. And God gives us the command, be spiritual, open your eyes, have your mind renewed, live in the spiritual realm and not just in the natural or the temporal, the, the fleshly realm, as the King James says. And I, I, I kind of sometimes in the King James where it talks about the flesh, God created our bodies. Our bodies are not bad. So when he says flesh, he's talking about worldliness, okay? So let's just take a moment to pray. Can we just ask God to open our hearts today? Lord, um, the scripture I'm going to read in a moment out of Ephesians says that there are many 
people who live in a condition where their hearts have been darkened. Lord, let us not be like that. I feel that throughout this day, you've been speaking to us in a number of ways. Open our eyes. Reveal the spiritual world. Enable us to enter into that place where we are walking in relationship with your Holy Spirit, where we can see with your eyes, feel with your heart, understand the the spiritual truths that you are revealing to us. God, just open our hearts to everything that you have for us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, and we're going to look at a lot of scripture. It's not going to be a long message today, but there's a lot of scripture in it. And I would encourage you to go back and look at some of these scriptures because they are key scriptures for the Christian life. Uh, The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 says, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, strong words, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Let me stop there and say, when Paul is talking about the Gentiles, he's talking about unbelievers, people that are not following Jesus. At this point, most of the church was Jewish, so that was the the term he used. Then he goes on to say, he says, these people are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. We stop here, and I want to tell you, I have a lot of people that I love very much in my life that are in this condition. It's hard, just like the picture of the guy with a lawnmower that we looked at a moment ago. Sometimes I just want to run up to them and shake them and say, don't you see? Don't you understand what's going on? But they don't see. Paul goes on to talk about their condition. He says, having lost all sensitivity... They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So these people, in a way, deny that there's any spiritual world, and they live by their five senses, whatever pleases their five senses. He says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. And this is for us, folks. We were taught to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. This is talking about the renewed mind, to put on the new self created to be like God and true righteousness and holiness. Whose responsibility is it to do this? We are being called by the Lord to put off the old self and to put on the new self. The same way that you get dressed in the morning, you take off your pajamas or whatever. Now, some people don't. They just dress right over their pajamas. When you were a kid, did you ever do that? Did you ever go to school and realize you didn't? I did. I'm confessing here. And all of a sudden, you realize, oh, man, I put my pants over my pajamas. Wow. But you have to take off the old things and put on the new and be dressed. It's an intentional act that God calls us to do. And that's uh, the freedom class, the living free class we do as part of that, teaching people how to put off the old, put on the new. Well, this week we're going to talk about the Christian worldview versus the materialist worldview. A little bit of this I talked about last week, and we are still doing the series on the gifts of the Spirit, but I wanted to share this before we start on Romans 12 as a bridge between 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, because we need to be people that walk in the Spirit. We need the gifts of the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called us to live. And after last week, I felt impressed to take a deeper look 
at this whole uh, war that's going on between the Christian worldview, material worldview, the old man, the new man, the old mindset, and the renewed mind. We need the power and the wisdom of God more than ever before. It's not that we've never needed it. It's just the season in which we live. We need power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. We need God's discernment more than ever before. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are essential to us being mature men and women of God. To please God, we have to have renewed minds. We need to be spiritual. We need to be pneumaticos rather than based in sensual desires. So turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at a portion of Scripture here where Paul talks to the Corinthians very honestly about this. And it's interesting, if you read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, this is the, this is the book that tells us about the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But if you go back to 1 Corinthians 1, he says to the Corinthians, I give thanks for you because you have been filled with the knowledge of God, and you come behind in no spiritual gift. He tells them, you people have really received a lot of wonderful things. Then he says, but... People from Chloe's household tell me you guys are fighting with one another. So you have the gifts of the Spirit. He says, but yet you're saying, some, some say, I follow Paul, I follow Peter, I follow this leader, I follow that leader. It's like the uh, church today. A lot of people follow different personalities. They follow different, I can tell some people who they listen to on the radio or watch on TV by the way they talk, by the way they pray, because they have people that they follow. Sometimes that's the hardest thing for a pastor is having someone else pastor the people in your church and you have to unpastor or repastor because of what passed their eyes, pastors. Oh, it's true. It's true. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 31, because Paul's telling them the Corinthians, he's essentially saying, you know, you guys have a little bit of pride in your life and you think you're very wise and you need to humble your hearts and receive the spiritual wisdom and get rid of the fleshly wisdom that you have before you can really enter into what God has for you. Verse 18, he says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe." Jews demand miraculous signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. The word wisdom here is Sophia. It's the word we get philosophy from, the study of, the knowledge of. It's a natural knowledge that comes through our senses. It's not the spiritual wisdom revealed by God. He says, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of the world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. 
Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. The message of the cross to the world looks like foolishness. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to embrace that and say, it's okay if people think that we're foolish. Because in the worldly sense, it doesn't, it doesn't add up. You look at the message of Jesus and you say, what is this all about? How can this be? It's contrary to all worldly wisdom and logic. But I've got news for you. God is out to demolish all worldly wisdom and logic. And ultimately, God will humble all different uh, philosophies and truths before his ultimate truth found in the Lord Jesus Christ. The world cannot find God through logic. I'm not saying that scripture is illogical. Don't get me wrong, because it's very logical once you receive the revelation of the truth. Okay, are you hearing what I'm saying there? But according to the world's wisdom, it doesn't make sense. People mock us. People make fun of us. We need to be okay with us. Like First Peter says, we are a peculiar people. We are set apart. We are kingdom and priests. We don't belong to this world. If you are uncomfortable as a, as a follower of Jesus living in this world, good. We need to be uncomfortable. We don't fit in. We are not made to fit in. We are being prepared for another world. The sad part is the people that are comfortable here will not fit in in that world. I would rather be getting ready for what God is building than get comfortable in this broken world. He wants us to live here as sojourners. He wants us to love the people here. He wants us to accomplish good things. But this is not our home. And it's okay. It's okay. Paul says the people of his day were looking for the wrong things. The Jews kept looking for miraculous signs. And it boggles my mind because Jesus kept doing all these miracles and it still wasn't good enough for them. They wanted a certain kind of Messiah. And instead, this baby shows up in a manger to poor parents. A carpenter's son. And you say, how can, God, how can that be God's plan? Certainly, if God was going to do something on the planet, he'd announce it with millions and billions of angels that were all playing trumpets and there would be armies of heaven and Jesus would come with a bit. Well, that's coming later, folks. Hang on. The first time he comes in humility. We don't talk much about the humility of God. He comes in humility to show us the way to the Father so that we are not destroyed along with everything else of this age. He comes so that we can be included and born again and be part of this next kingdom that he is bringing on the earth. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. If we boast in anything, we need to boast in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes on in the 1 Corinthians 2, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. I don't know what you think about an apostle, but Paul tells us here when he went to the Corinthians, he came in profound humility. And he said, it wasn't my words that won you over. It's when we went to the Lord together, his presence and power showed up and you experienced the glory and the power of God in your midst. 
It's not about words. The kingdom of God is not about words. It's about a revelation of God's power, about his supernatural. God's message is not just another philosophy. He's the creator of the universe to the eternal one. His word has power to create, transform, and destroy. He says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And a lot of Christians even deny this. They have a form of godliness, 2 Timothy 3.5 says, but they deny the power thereof. What good is it if we have another philosophy and we don't learn to walk in the power of God? There have been times when I have shared my faith with people and there doesn't seem to be any influence on their life. And I ask them if they can pray for them, and we pray, and all of a sudden, God shows up. Have you ever been in one of those moments, and all of a sudden, people get choked up, and they begin to cry because God comes. I like what, the way Vijesh says that God walks in the room. He shows up, and he's there with you in that moment, and people experience that. It doesn't matter what I say to them, but when they experience the living God, they go, we are up against something different here. This is, this is not just another philosophy. This is the true and living God. And you walk with the Lord, and that's the way it is. How many times have you been with somebody, and all of a sudden you get this feeling? I mean, all of a sudden you, the, the hair on your neck goes up or whatever. People sense God's presence in different ways, and you know that God is there in that moment. He moves into the room, and he touches people and does something that we could never do. It's not a matter of talk, but it's about the power of God. And Paul says, my words were not what was important. What was important is I came with the presence of God. And you experience that. Going on, verse 6 and 7, he says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. We speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written... No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God does have much to reveal to us. It's not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. It's God's wisdom revealed to us by Holy Spirit. Some of you have been in a relationship where you got to know the person uh, romantically that you were going to marry. I'm thinking uh, when Janice and I got together. Imagine if I decided that I was going to get to know Janice, so I set to study her, and I found out as many books that were written about Janice as I could. I, I, we didn't have internet back then, but I got on the internet and I searched her name. I interviewed her friends and talked to different people. That's not how you get to know somebody. You get to know somebody by spending time with them and they open their heart voluntarily to you and reveal their heart to you. And that's how we get to know God. If people go to seminary, and I'm all in favor of studying the word and going deeper, and, and I don't think seminaries are necessarily bad, but if you go in there and you're studying about God and you don't have an encounter with the living creator and the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to come out of there bankrupt. You can study all about God, you can study all, but we need the revelation of God to us. We need to breathe in, we need to listen to him, we need to be with him in his presence. That's the way God reveals himself to us. 
It's in those moments where you're sitting alone, maybe with your Bible and a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden, the word comes alive. I had something happen to me. I was reading uh, the Gospel of Luke the other day, and I love reading uh, the Gospels now because I walk through all the places I was at in Israel. And in Mark especially, it's like you know one experience after another. You're just kind of walking these steps of Jesus. But I'm reading Luke, and I, I saw this. God quickened something to me. I'll share it with you, I'm sure, down the line. I'm not going to share it today. But I said, why didn't I ever see that? It's because Holy Spirit says he needs this right now. And he opened my heart. And it dropped into my heart, and I go, this is powerful. I needed this right now for this moment. And it was like food for my soul. That's supernatural. So when the Lord says to us, be pneumaticos, have a renewed mind. This is what this is talking about. It's living the life of the Holy Spirit. It's living in partnership, in openness to him. Now let's talk about a Christian worldview today. From the perspective of God's word, there are two competing worldviews. There's a biblical worldview based on God's character who never changes, based on the revelation of God's truth to us. It's the word of God and Holy Spirit revelation at work in our lives. That's part of a biblical worldview. Then scripture talks about the wisdom of this age or the spirit of this world. It's natural or materialist in nature. It's the physical world. It's the material world. It's expressed in many forms throughout history, but has the same basis. It denies the spiritual world exists. It's the guy with the lawnmower that says, I don't see a tornado. It comes from the sensory input or human logic. But by denying God, it's based on demon logic, because actually the enemy of our soul, Satan, and the whole demonic horde, they don't want us to see God. You don't have to be an out-and-out Satanist to be captive to the enemy. All you have to do is believe that none of this is really important. Just walk on by. Don't look here. As followers of Jesus, the word tells us you can't please God unless you're pneumaticos, unless you're spiritual. So be pneumaticos. Literally, that's what he says in the Greek. Literally, be spiritual beings, people controlled by the Holy Spirit. You can go to the next slide. 1 Corinthians 2.14. People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand. Only those who are spiritual, pneumaticos, can understand what the Spirit means. Pneumaticos, what does it mean? Here's the definition out of one of the theological dictionaries. Relating to the human spirit or rational soul as part of uh, which man is akin to God and serves as his instrument or organ. The other three are more direct. Belonging to the divine spirit or Holy Spirit. How many of you want to be that? One who is filled with and governed by the spirit of God. You want to be that? Pertaining to the wind or breath. Windy, exposed to the wind as though God's breath was upon us. I love that. God's breath upon us. The rest of this, 1 Corinthians 12, 2.12 says, we have not received the spirit of the world, that other way of thinking, but the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit expressing spiritual pneumaticos, truths, in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand that because they are spiritually, pneumaticos, discerned. The spiritual, are you getting this from Paul? He wants you to be pneumaticos here. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who knows the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians here. 
He says, brothers, I couldn't address you as spiritual. You guys aren't pneumaticos yet. Let me tell you how Paul knows. He says, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk and not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. And he goes on to say, because you guys are fighting with one another and you don't walk in unity, you're not pneumaticos. So I can't tell you the deep things of the Lord because you're still walking in the flesh. I wanted to share all this, and I know that's a lot of scripture. You're going to go home and you're going to have dreams tonight about pneumaticos and Marissa blowing up balloons. And you go, what's this all about? But I wanted you to get this picture of where the Lord wants us to be in being spiritual, being filled. Paul uses that word. I mean, it must have been in the face of the Corinthians because he wants them to understand this concept. We need to be aware of the spiritual realm. God has so much to give us. Can I tell you that many Christians are not pneumaticos? They're logicos. Okay, and we're going to talk about that because in, first, in, in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it talks about logicos, logic. Logic is not bad, but we can't live there. We need to have both logicos and pneumaticos. The word and the spirit, logos is the word. It's the basis of logic. It's God's word. Jesus was our logos, our logicos. We're going to get into that in Romans 12. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I love this. God wants us to learn to walk in the Spirit this way. The Word cautions us, and this is I'm going to end with this. We are in an age where there is a war against the truths of the Holy Spirit like I have never seen before. I pray for the young people in our church because the war against the gospel is so, and it, and it tells me something. It tells me that the return of Christ is coming nearer. We are in a season where we need to be aware of what's happening. Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. And listen to these words because this describes the world in which we live. He says, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and dead, in a view of his appearing in his kingdom. In other words, Jesus is coming back. His kingdom is going to appear. In light of all that, listen to what I'm going to tell you. I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, which is what I, Pastor Jeff, and other leaders in this church endeavor to do. And then Paul gives us the warning. He says this, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. In other words, they won't put up with sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We are in that season right now. In the 1990s, when sociologists started using the word postmodern, meaning that we were no longer in the rationalist age and that uh, essentially people were going to live by their own version of truth, I made a prediction. I remember sitting with a group of leaders and saying, we we're going to go from postmodern to pre-pagan and pagan, and we are heading down that path right now. It's amazing how people are so cavalier, they don't even care anymore about facts or truth. It's all about what people believe. And let me tell you what people do. They find a lifestyle that they're happy with and they conform truth to their lifestyle. And in saying so, they think that they are powerful enough to even determine who their own God is. And they say, well, God will never judge me about that. You don't know my God. Well, I don't know how they created their God. I know my God is based in history and in a lot of revelation over 
4,000 years. Their God is basically what their stomach tells them. This is what feels good to me. This is what I want. So I'm going to conform truth to this. And woe be to you if you challenge somebody's God, even if you use logic. Have you found that out? By the way, if you want to find out who gets really angry about something, touch their God. Be it music, be it a drug, be it a philosophy, be it a sexual preference. We get a little personal here right now, but you start talking about that and you'll find out who people's gods are really fast. Jude says a similar thing in Jude 17 through 23. He says, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers, people who follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who have mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. And Jude goes on to say, be merciful to these people, praying for them that somehow God will lead them into the truth and snatch them out of the flames. We're not to despise these people. They are blind, like the guy with the lawnmower. We need to leap over that fence. We need to grab him and say, we're going for the basement. We had a storm basement when we lived in Missouri, over here in Ohio. We're still in the edge of Tornado Alley, but when you live in the middle, everybody's got a storm shelter that you go to. Janice and I discovered in our storm cellar in Missouri that we had a number of black widow spires and brown recluse spiders there. So and scorpions as well. Missouri is a wonderful place. And uh, that's why sometimes we refer to it as misery <laughs> instead of Missouri. Sorry, all you folks in Missouri. I love the springtime there, but when the summer came and we had three weeks over 100 degrees right out of the Gulf of Mexico, it was brutal. But we'd have these storms that would come and we'd look at one another. Is this bad enough to go down with the critters or should we stay up here and go? A couple times we went down there. Most of the times we rode it out in our living room on the first floor. But I'd be running for the storm shelter. And there are a lot of people that have no clue the danger, the spiritual danger that they're in. We need to love them. We're not to condemn them. I find out a lot of Christians right now are getting angry at people that don't agree with them and the poor people that are held captive by the enemy. It doesn't do good to get angry with people that are captive to the enemy. We need to liberate them. If you stop loving them, they're not going to hear you. If you condemn them and try to change their lifestyle before their heart has been changed, you're trying to change things from the outside in, and it just makes people angry. Okay? Sometimes you need to go right in the middle of where they're at and the ridiculousness of their life or the offensiveness of their life, and you need to love them through it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? As Christians, we need to learn to think a different way. This is what Jesus did. Can you imagine everybody Jesus saw, he saw all of their faults? He loved them anyway. You think he picked the good guys? Everybody he picked had flaws. So listen to this. Last year, the Washington Post named 20, the 2016 Word of the Year in their Oxford Dictionaries. This is a quote. It's official. This is from the Washington Post. It's official. Truth is dead. I don't think so. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is alive and active. So sorry, Washington Post. Truth is dead, facts are passe. Oxford Dictionaries has selected post-truth as the 2016 International Word of the Year. 
after the contentious Brexit referendum and equally divisive U.S. presidential election caused usage of the adjective to skyrocket, according to the Oxford University Press. The dictionary defines post-truth as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. This is an age in which people reject any objective facts and declare truth based on their own ungodly desires. Hey, if I say it's true, it's true. You know what really scares me? I see a day coming when people say, I don't have to stop for that stop sign. It's already starting to happen. Have you noticed? Because people are saying, you know, I'm bigger than this. Truth is what I say it is. So I looked in the Oxford English Dictionaries. Here we are. Post-fact, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion. And then it goes on to say, we have more data and facts available to us than ever before, and yet we've entered a post-fact era. Isn't this ironic? You can find everything on the internet. I don't know how much is true, but there's all kind of stuff out there. But it doesn't matter because we're in a post-fact era, so you can take what you want and leave the rest. Truth in a post-fact era is whatever each person desires it to be. Isn't that a nice world? Until somebody comes along and says, you know what? I think your kind of person is offensive, and we need to stop you. That's what I believe. That's what happened in a lot of dictatorships over time. Post-truth, relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In this area of post-truth politics, it's easy to cherry-pick data and come to whatever conclusion you desire. If you have been watching the news lately and you feel uncomfortable, I've got to tell you, it's because there is a spirit of deception operating in and through news agencies like I've never seen before. And I'm not talking about a Democratic or Republican position here. I'm talking about generally across the board. People are not concerned with facts. They are concerned with getting their beliefs across to you. And, and it's deceptive. How many of you feel uncomfortable when you watch the news and this heaviness comes on you? That's why. There is a day coming when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to reveal himself. And I agree with Pastor Jeff earlier today. I used to think that, you know, all of us would, he would tell us to bow down. Listen, when we see the Lord revealed in his glory, it's going to be a, a natural, we're all going to be on our face just like that. Can I tell you that? And all of the funny little things that people have believed. And this is what breaks my heart for the people in my life that have conformed truth according to their own desires. Is they really think they're okay. It's like the lawnmower man. They don't see the tornado coming. So we need to develop in this age that we're in a heart of compassion and pray that as many of those people that haven't seen or understood the Lord will have a revelation of the Lord. I want to close the service this morning by praying the people, uh, for the people in our lives that we love that don't see. But we need the power of the Spirit. We need the revelation of the Spirit. John 16, he says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. This is Jesus telling his disciples, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine.
And that is what I said. That is why I said the spirit will receive from me and will make known, make it known to you. Can we just bow our heads for a moment right now? I know most of you here today. If there's anybody here that has never committed their life to Christ, this is between you and God. You need to say, Lord, I want to be a person of the spirit. I want to be pneumaticos. I want to have that revelation in my life. If you've sinned against the Lord and you've said, Lord, you've resisted him and you've conformed things to your own truth, you need to say to the Lord right now, Father, forgive me. I want your truth. I know that there is an objective truth outside of me. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the foundation of all truth. He is the Logos. He is the word of God. He is the revelation of God. But Father, also today we come to you because we have many people in our life that they're like the lawnmower guy. Lord, I read the scriptures and I read Revelation and it talks about who's going to be in your kingdom and who is not going to be in your kingdom and it breaks my heart. People misunderstand and think sometimes that we followers of Jesus condemn people. They don't realize that it's their own beliefs that condemn them. It's by rejecting the the truth and the grace and the gifts that God has given. Lord, give us a heart of love and compassion. Can we just stand together? Can you begin to call on the name of the Lord with me? I just feel like this is a moment. And think about people, family members, friends in your life. If you want to call their names out, go ahead and do that. Lord, we know that the time is short. This word to us is an exhortation about standing in truth, about walking in the Spirit, 